I na- I titled my notes for this episode, She is the Dancing Queen. Interesting. Young and Sweet, episode 17. Oh, okay, that makes more sense. <laughs> and welcome to the Magic Winks Clubhouse, a podcast where two best friends get together and recap every episode of the Italian Magical Girl series Winks Club. I'm Brendan, Fairy of the Surging Sea. And I'm Tess, Fairy of the Rolling Stones. Today, we're watching Season 1, Episode 17, Secrets Within Secrets. The Italian title is Brandon's Secret, and the four kids dub called it Royal Heartbreak. How many secrets? I don't know, they're just within. At least two, maybe more. (laughs) The Italian version of the episode aired March 5th, 2004, and the four kids dub aired October 9th of 2004. Yay! Which means it's almost Halloween. Now, I did put out the call for listener questions, and I believe there's only one that we have. All right, our uh, listener question is from Crest at Fantasy Crest. Uh, not a question, but a challenge for you, sort of. Bloom has Kiko with his general design as a base. Make pets for the other members of the Winks. You can skip Layla and Roxy. <laughs> Don't worry, the show already skips Roxy. And Roxy already has a magical pet. His name's Arthur, and he's a dog. <laughs> Just a dog? Just Just a a dog? dog? Okay. But pets for the other Winx girls. This is great because it'll happen not only in season four, but again in season seven. You know, I didn't even know that, so... I mean, they get, like, magical creatures in season seven. So it's a little... They get mascot characters. Yeah, they get those in season four, too, and then they forget about them. Okay, so if we're designing pets for the other girls. So we have a rabbit already. And if we look at the other, like, major category of pet, we have dog, cat, bird, reptile, fish, and arthropod. Uh, quick question, what is an arthropod again for people in the audience that don't know? Like you? Yes. Like people who have pet bugs or spiders. Oh, that's what an arthropod is. Congratulations, you got a C on your middle school biology exam. I didn't go into fuss in veterinarian school for this. I didn't go to veterinary school, period. I did it for the fame. Doing it for the fame. I live for the applause. The way that they cheer and they scream for me when I diagnose their dog. Honestly, I can't think of any pet for Flora that isn't some kind of walking plant creature. Her pet currently is Myrta. (laughs) A pumpkin who used to be a people. Um, I mean... It, it works. Yeah, Flora's, Flora's actually kind of the hard one. Like, So let's let's save her for last. Um, Tecna, I could see having like a bird maybe of some kind that can like... Like a smart bird. <laughs> Once again, her pet is the Roomba. Her Roomba's sparky. But if it wasn't the Roomba... Yeah, one of those like really smart parrots... That lives for 50 years. I mean, or a squirrel. See, you would think Muse is the bird person, but I think that's also such an obvious answer that I kind of want to give her a different pet, you know? Yeah, um... Hissing cockroach. Oh, no! (laughs) They make music. She just Um, has, like, those giant freaking New Zealand uh, tree grasshoppers. (laughs) <laughs> it's a seal one of those ones that just honks the horns 
It's a chicken that has carefully uh, been trained to peck out Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. <laughs> Stella has cat person written all over her. She'd either have one of those primped for the gods fluffy cats or the so ugly it's cute cat. Stella has a naked cat. Let's be real. She has a goblin cat. She has a goblin cat. Perfect. 10 out of 10. Best cat. Because it needs sunscreen! <laughs> yeah, so Musa and Flora, they're kind of hard to pin down. She has a. Uh, Flo- uh, Musa has a DJ monkey. And Flora has just a giant stick bug. <laughs> why, is th- why is there a twig in the bathroom? Oh, Flora, it got out of its pen again. Or a sentient mushroom. Do you see where I'm going with this? Just a Paris? A fungus? A mungus? Because it's not quite a plant, but also not quite an animal. Oh, okay. It's a Venus flytrap with a Santa beard. (laughs) Tecna has Sparky, and Flora has Mr. Chompers the Venus flytrap. Did we decide on Musa yet? I kind of wish we hadn't given the bird to Tecna. But it also just makes sense. Or Tecna could have, like, a rat who runs wires for her. (gasps) Musa has a breakdancing spider. That is just absurd enough to work. (laughs) Yay! (laughs) Ow. What What is the tap dancing spider's name? Um... Philippe. So I guess that, uh, and of course we have to run them all through the Neopet machine that Kiko was subjected to. Ooh. Oh, what if Flora had a snake? Oh my god, you're right! She either has a tiny corn snake or a boa. Full Britney Spears slay for you boa constrictor. Like, it's it's two ends of the spectrum. I say it's I say it's the the like the actual boa boa or she could have a frog that keeps the bugs away like Flora has a lot of options Flora would also be good for the spider but no the spider is Musa's so Musa has a tap dancing spider named Tip Tap Tecna has uh Sparky the Roomba and uh Tech Rat uh I'm shocked you did not react to that unless you didn't hear it. Uh, my mouth. <laughs> also, Stella could dress her uh, naked cat up in like little sweaters. She'd love that. You could dress. You could dress any cat in little sweaters, but naked cats appreciate them more because they are naked. Naked. Flora has a snake. Tecna has the Roomba and a rat. Musa has a spider. Stella has a cat. Perfect. Go planet. By your powers combined, I am a decent mascot. Alright, so I believe we have our Winx pets. Just a reminder that if you want to send us a listener question, one of us puts out the call the Monday before we record, and you have until 7pm Eastern that Wednesday to get a question into us. If your question is too long for a tweet, you can also email us. And we'll plug both the show Twitter and the email at the end of the show. We love hearing from you. We crave validation. We crave that mineral. What year is it? I don't know. I've been inside for five days. I've been inside for three weeks, okay? Uh, I say five days because I go out occasionally and scavenge for food. You forage. Like a fucking pigeon. Alright, we ready to get into this episode summary? Yes. So before we even start the episode, four kids gave us a cold open. And it's the weirdest cold open. Uh, well, previously on Wink's Club, everything, every major event that's happened until this po- What? Well, it, it was like every major bloom and Brandon moment. 
Sorry, I skipped through it because I thought it wasn't important. Because it kind of isn't. Yeah, but it's it's like the kind of thing they do when like a major recurring character is coming back on a sitcom and they show you all of that character's prior appearances. Well, like when Brandon first shows up in the episode, he'll be like accompanied by like the studio audience going wild. You know what I mean? <laughs> Kramer! Norm! Uh, but in the Cineloom dub, we start at Red Fountain in a scene of what can only be described as controlled chaos. <laughs> so there's a bunch of specialists like doing sparring matches, and then there's a bunch of hover bikes doing laps around this like coliseum. One dude has like bucklers that shoot lightning, and another one has like Chinese hook swords. Yeah, um, we begin with bad CG models. Like, the hoverbike models are horrible. Possibly the same bad model just tripled. I would almost bet money on it. And it looks like Sky is fighting himself. That's hysterical because neither of those men are... Oh, actually, no, I think Sky was doing a, a sword fight there. It, three of these red fountain boys look like Sky, and it is confusing. And it doesn't help that one of them has Brandon's sword and shield, but he's a lefty and his lightsaber weapons are red. So I guess he's a Sith. Oh, um, also, in Four Kids, while this whole thing is going on, uh, one of the teachers is just, not, not one of the teachers, the one teacher is talking over all of it. Uh, Professor Coda Torta is expositing over this whole thing. Uh, Sidaloom just lets this mayhem happen before we pan over to Coda Torta and Headmaster Saladin. Uh, this is apparently all for a school exhibition that is going to be attended by a number of very important people from around the magic dimension. In the Four Kids dub, they call it the Day of the Royals that's going to be held in honor of the King and Queen of Heraklion. But here's here's my question for you. If this is all about very important people, why isn't Stella there? She's a crown princess. I know! If it's just a very important person event, I am shocked Stella is not there by, like, virtue of already going to Alfia. So she's just, like, a phone call away. But no, Sky didn't invite her. Uh, also, Coda Torta mentions that we're going to be doing some stuff with dragons later, so put that in your pocket. So after our uh, exposition at Red Fountain, we go to Alfia, where Bloom is painting Stella's hair green. Uh, this is apparently an herbal conditioner that Flora made. And four kids actually fixed an animation error here, which I think is pretty interesting. If you look closely, you can see it. And it doesn't look that good. But they've tried. So the animation error is that uh, after Bloom paints Stella's hair green, in the rest of the shots of the scene, it's back to normal. Like, they forgot to keep the coloring. But four kids digitally made all of the hair behind Stella's headband green, like the conditioner is still on it. Um, four for you, four kids, you go, four kids. Also, Stella says fret not again. This is definitely her catfrage. Catchphrase? Catchphrase. Cat Catfrage. Uh, Bloom is really, uh, like, dejected, and basically she's dissociating while painting Stella's hair. And apparently it's because of, you know, the constant uh, attempts on her life and the fact that her entire world just got turned upside down, and I'd like to take a minute just sit right there. I'll tell you how I became a prince of a town called Elf. No, that doesn't really work. And also Brandon is ghosting her. Yeah, he just will not answer her calls. In Four Kids, Stella asks... Uh, in Four Kids, Stella says, Ask not what I do for my hair, darling. Ask what my hair does for me. Thank you, Stella. 
but Brandon's been ghosting her ever since the Cloud Tower incident, where it turns out she might be a member of the Ancestral Coven, even though that was proven to be a big fat lie cooked up by the tricks. But presumably Brandon doesn't know that because Bloom never got the chance to tell him. Because Brandon's been ghosting her. So Stella gives Bloom her cell phone and call and tells her to call Brandon. And uh, Bloom does the teenage girl thing where she starts panicking about talking to the boy she likes, but still is like, no, you're going to do this, and I'm going to go wash my hair. Call your not-boyfriend, or I'll call him and tell him you were kidnapped. <laughs> uh, so Bloom bites the bullet and dials him up. I have a note in Four Kids, um, Stella is the best wingman. She really is. This is a very good scene for, like, Stella and Bloom's relationship. So, Bloom calls Brandon. Uh, Brandon picks up because he saw Stella's number on the caller ID and thought, well, it's not the girl I'm trying to ghost. <laughs> but surprise, surprise, it is Bloom. Hey, Stella was- oh! Hi! And Bloom actually gets to explain that what happened in Cloud Tower was a tricks plot. And when Brandon asks why they do that, Bloom literally says the words, because they're evil. <laughs> I mean, God, Brandon, look at their character sheets. Uh, for the record, I believe that uh, Icy is lawful evil. Darcy is possibly also lawful evil or maybe neutral evil. But Stormy is definitely chaotic evil. Oh, defo. Stupid tree. A nice bit of animation is that while Bloom is talking... Her hand is shaking. Like, oh, she is nervose. And uh, after, you know, they're evil, Blooms tries to talk about the fact that they have a lot of chemistry. And then Brandon shuts it down and says he has to go. Bloom in Four Kids is trying to get a ticket to the Royal Shindig, which, whatever. And she hasn't talked to Brandon in a while. So Stella's like, act casual, talk about the weather or something, and then go in for the kill. And she's talking and she's just like, so how about that weather? Nice weather, isn't it? I hear tomorrow's gonna be good too. What's going on tomorrow? And then Brandon literally with his mouth makes a someone's on the other line beep and hangs up. Boop. I'm sorry, Bloom, someone's on the other line. Boop. I gotta go. I'll call you back later. Wow, that was really lame of him. Ah, oh, that was really lame of me. Uh, Stella comes in and asks how everything went, and uh, Bloom basically says that, like, he's still being weird. So Stella says, give it another go after today. Since it's probably right, just a because... lot of stress. So, uh, once... Stella and Bloom have their little afterphone follow-up. We go to Red Fountain to talk, to be with uh, Timmy and Brandon. And Brandon goes to Timmy for some help. And he drops the bombshell on us that not only is he already in a relationship, he is straight up engaged. Yeah. And his fiance's name is Diaspro. And uh, because he has hung out with Bloom a grand total of five times, his 16-year-old brain has decided that he is in love with Bloom. And uh, Timmy needs to help him figure out how to tell Bloom about Diaspora. In Cinelum, Timmy essentially goes, let her know now or risk losing her forever. In Four Kids, Timmy's advice is to skip town. Yeah, real helpful. And, you know, I did have a note here uh, about how that might not be the best solution. But honestly, I think you're right. Just rip this Band-Aid off. Because the longer it festers, the worse it gets. Look, I know we've known each other for a 17 while, weeks? question mark. I really like you, but I have a fiancé and it'd be completely out of line for me to even pursue anything while I am engaged. Or in any kind of relationship, which yeah, uh, would be great if it happened. Yeah, basically, 
it's a long distance relationship and you know distance doesn't always make the heart grow fonder uh after timmy's advice which is either really good or really bad depending on your dub <laughs> uh riven is walking by now here's what i figured out about the way red fountain is set up it looks like that the room timmy and brandon are in is like directly connected to a hallway there's no common vestibule area like there is at Althea. It's just hall leads to dorm room, which is why this next sequence works. And it actually helped me a little bit figure out the, you know, the, the staging, as it were. Okay. So Riven is walking on by on his uh, sulky way. And when Brandon leaves Timmy's room, they bump into each other. Uh, Riven overheard that last bit about talking to Bloom because Timmy's door was open. And Riven asks why Brandon is so worked worked up about a girl like Bloom. And you think he's just going to say, like, she's a total nerd or, you know, some other, like, really (laughs) petty, snotty kind of, you know what I mean, right? Right. Like, you could... You could be going out with a witch like I am. They're so much cooler than those pathetic pixies. Instead, Riven says that Darcy told him Bloom hangs out with a bunch of different guys, if you get what he means. And in four kids, it's even worse. Doesn't he actually use the words she's tried to hook up with every guy at Red Fountain? Oh, no. He said, I believe he's, let me double check this because I want to make sure I'm right. Because I, I want to say that he said she's hooked up with every gr- guy at Red Fountain. I thought he said she's tried to. Okay, tried. Mm-hmm. So Riven explicitly uses the words hooked up. Here's Here's actually kind of an interesting thing where like we're at the crossroads of the the evolution of slang. Because in the 90s, if you said you were going to go hook up with your crew, you were just going to go hang out. But I think by 2004, hook up already had its modern meaning. So Riven is slut-shaming Bloom. How dare you? Either Darcy is spreading these rumors herself, or Riven came up with it, and I could believe either option. And then... Brandon does the thing we've all been waiting for. And just socks Riven in the gut. And then we get a tiny slow-mo fight. I thought, I when I was watching the Cinelum dub, I was wondering how the four kids dub was going to edit around this because they don't like showing this kind of physical violence. And all they really removed were the um, face punches. Like they kept Riven's judo kick. And Brandon socking Riven in the gut, but uh, in the unedited footage, they both land a few hits on each other, like, right in the face. And I guess that was uh, where standards and practices drew the line in the U.S. You can imply that someone's having sex with a lot of people, but you can't punch someone in the face. To be fair, I think the implication of the hooking up line is going to be lost on the target audience, but older siblings or, well, maybe not parents at this point, but older siblings are definitely going to double take. I'm sorry, you what? (laughs) What did that cartoon just say? (laughs) Yeah, uh, Riven kicks uh, Brandon and he does a twirl in the air and falls down. And then Riven jumps on top of Brandon, repeatedly punching him in the face. And then they grapple on the ground for a little bit. And then Sky shows up. Yeah, Sky breaks the fight up and uh, he asks them both if they're okay because Sky's like a decent person and he's trying to be fair. But Riven is being himself. Yeah. And Sky points out that ever since Riven has been dating Darcy, He's turned into a real pain. And I have this to say. (laughs) This was a problem long before Darcy and is going to stay a problem long after Darcy. Yep. (laughs) 
And uh, Sky does bring up the very valid point that Darcy is just using Riven. And uh, Riven starts to get into it when Headmaster Saladin tells them to knock it off. The man with the most luxurious hair and bushy eyebrows. And also very short. He is a very short wizard man. He will kick your ass. Saladin. Punch it. He is too short. Saladin tells. What if he's like Yoda? What if he just like backflips around when he fights? What if he just backflips around in his normal mode of transportation? That'd be fun. (laughs) Whee! Did you know that because Yoda is so short and usually a Muppet, sometimes he's CGI, but because he's so small that uh, he has a special hover chair to keep pace with normal-sized Jedi when they're walking around the temple. To be fair... It also brings him up to, like, eye level of whoever he's speaking with. Have you seen his legs? They're very small. He has baby legs. Not baby Yoda legs. Baby human legs. Have you seen a baby human try to run there? Not that fast. Unless they have something that you don't want them to have. (laughs) Saladin tells the boys that the exhibition is going to be a big deal, and he is not going to have any of their shenanigans ruining it. And then he dismisses them, and we have the classic, like, pseudo-military school thing where all of the boys say, yes, sir, and then he has to say Riven's name before Riven says, yes, sir, in a very sulky tone. In Four Kids, Saladin makes a pointed effort to say that Sky's parents are going to be here. And so I guess we're at the next day now, or it's later this same day. I'm not quite sure, but I think this whole episode might take place over the course of a day. Uh, we're at Red Fountain Arena, and Griffin is walking um, through the stands. What? What? Because in my notes, the absolute next scene is when Musa starts playing her flute. Did they switch these scenes around? Let me double check, because I didn't notice anything. We are the Winks. We are the Winks. We're checking facts. We are the Winks. What? Oh, they did change that scene around. So they they switched which they switched the the order in the four kids dub. Yes, they did. So we stay at Red Fountain for a little bit in Cinelum and the original Italian, but in four kids we jump back to Alfia and then to Red Fountain again. So oh, I have Riven's smarmy face stuck on my screen. So the next day at Red Fountain Arena, we're tracking Griffin as uh, she walks the stands and takes a seat next to Farragonda. And Farragonda says that she heard Griffin expel the tricks, and Griffin said it was harsh but necessary, and she's kind of sad to lose such gifted students. And Farragonda says that they are already really powerful despite their age, and that makes them pretty dangerous to be left unsupervised. And unfortunately, that is going to be really difficult without them still being in Cloud Tower. And Griffin agrees to that. This is actually a very amicable scene between the two. It's a real double-edged sword. Like, they can't stay at the school because they broke the rules. However, they are dangerous. Yeah, now they're hedge witches with a vengeance. In four kids... Let's (laughs) Let's <laughs> get catty! Bam, 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 bam. <laughs> um, Griffin says that she is in seat 26G and that Farragonda is in 26F. This is not how stadium seating works. Wouldn't that mean they were in a uh, completely separate rows? Yeah, that would mean that uh, Griffin is behind Farragonda. And I wrote this down word for word because I could. Farragonda makes small talk. You look radiant. What's your secret, Spell? Griffin scoffs. Farragonda says, We haven't sat together since the summer of 08. I don't want to know what those first two numbers are. Griffin says we were both dating that red fountain boy. Farragonda replies with Prince Jones. And Griffin says, 
We both turned him into a goat when we found out he was two-timing us. And this is the proper response to two-timing, so keep that in your back pocket. Turn the guy into a goat. Maybe a few weeks eating tin cans will teach him not to uh, screw around on you. (laughs) So now we go to Tecna and Muse's room. Where Musa is practicing the flute and Tecna is doing Tecna things on her computer. Um, I have some notes about the sheet music that Musa is looking at. Please enlighten me. Well, first of all, in Four Kids and uh, Cinelume, she's playing two completely different tunes. I figured. Um, there's no meter notation. The clef is on random lines. There's no bar indicators, which essentially means there's only one bar per line. Which is very inefficient way of writing music. Um, pretty much the only thing they got right was the fact that there are five lines in a bar. <laughs> like, the clef note, the treble clef is like, treble clef, none. Treble clef, nope, nope. Tre- like, what is this? Well, maybe Muse is all about that bass. But it was only treble. It's I, I, I would love to see a bass flute. They do exist, and I think they're comically gigantic. <laughs> it's like a foghorn. It's like blowing on top. It's like blowing on top of a mason jar. <laughs> uh... Uh, the other girls just kind of barge in on Tecna and Musa doing their Tecna thing and Musa thing. Uh, Bloom has decided that since Brandon is avoiding her, the best course of action is that she's going to have to sneak into the exhibition, which is an invitation-only event, and confront him because she's 16 and can't wait until tomorrow when this would be slightly better timed. Um, when, um, when the room gets barged into, um, Muse's magic floating music stand falls to the ground. And I'm like, if you used a proper stand and not a magic floaty one, this wouldn't have happened. Uh, Also, we apparently needed Stella to get Bloom to say the words, I have a crush on Brandon. And I mean, Stella has a point that Bloom is going through a lot just to talk to the guy. Meanwhile, in four kids, Stella's all for it. Also, Bloom needs to talk to Brandon today because she needs to figure out what she is to him. Answer, the side chick. Okay. So at Red Fountain, the girls are instantly caught by security because they are five girls in pastel outfits. I really like this guy's outfit. He's just in like a suit. (laughs) He's also not particularly large or intimidating. He's just a reedy guy in a suit. The large and intimidating people are inside, guarding the royals. So, uh, the girls decide that the best way to deal with being caught is just scramble. Fucking book it. Uh, Bloom loses the security guard by doing that thing where you duck into a door and they run by that. Uh, we get a brief pan back into the arena and are treated to the timeless sport of laser jousting on hover bikes. I mean, that's what I majored in in college. And then we're back inside, and Bloom is walking down the hall. She's gotten separated from the other five. Other five? Other four. And two people who are the most obvious Renaissance Fair royals walk down the hallway. (laughs) He has a gaudy crown. She has way too many rings. They have huge, like, super jacked guards. With actual swords. And uh, Bloom moves out of the way because she realized that these people can buy her, sell her, and buy her back at a profit. Uh, Unfortunately, (laughs) she does end up bumping into another girl. And they both hit the dirt. And the girl drops a hollow disc that has a picture of Brandon on it. So she gets back to her feet, and you can tell she's important because she has a very distinctive character design. (laughs) The character design is important. She has blonde hair and these, like, two huge ringlets. She's got this burgundy cream gown and a huge fur-trimmed cape. And something tells me that is not (laughs) vegan fur. 
She also has an adorably tiny crown, just like Bloom's Winx one, except hers is silver and pointy instead of gold and round. <laughs> this, as you may have guessed, is Diaspro. There was a picture of her in Brandon's room. Foreshadowing. Also, uh, I put her name here now because it is way too long until it is otherwise revealed. Uh, yeah, and you can tell she's important because she, uh, treats Bloom as less than. Uh, she calls Bloom a stupid, clumsy girl as she gets up to her feet, tells her to watch where she's going, and outright calls her a peasant. Uh, in Four Kids, she's called a servant? I mean... I don't know what servants are dressed like that, but... Yeah, she's in street clothes. And it looks like all of the other servants are wearing uniforms. Maybe Diaspora was just angry. And, uh, when Bloom sees that hologram of Brandon, she's like, the hell? And, uh, Diaspora says that Bloom is forbidden to look at her boyfriend, snatches the disc up, and she walks off. Apparently it's a phone call of some kind because she starts carrying on a conversation with the hollow photo. It's just a static image of Brandon. Well, I mean, it might just be like a visual caller ID. We don't know how phones work in the magic dimension. Like ours, apparently. Have you seen Stella's phone? Or Icy's diamond-encrusted one from episode two. <laughs> uh, just opulence. She freezer burns everything. Uh, uh, and like, hearing that Brandon is this girl's boyfriend has Bloom like super duper confused and uh, rather than consider that just maybe the boy she has a crush on already has a girlfriend she jumps to the conclusion that this has to be another plot by the tricks oh god yes in both in both now isn't it always the case The cartoon protagonists are oblivious to the evil people in their lives until the exact second something happens that is not the evil people's fault for once. It's like how Gem and the Holograms forget that the misfits are out to ruin them every single time until the misfits actually aren't behind the plot of the episode and they immediately think it's the misfits. See, I didn't think of Gem and the Holograms. My first thought was a pup named Scooby-Doo and Red Herring. Yeah, he's always the villain, except for the one time that he actually was. Uh, yeah, the one time that Fred was not allowed to blame Red Herring. We go to the other girls, and they are just standing around in a hallway doing a real bang-up job of hiding from security. Uh, not at all wondering where Bloom went. And Stella is gushing about how she cannot wait to see Sky again. And says that Sky's parents are going to be here at the exhibition, and they are one of, if not the most wealthy royal family in the dimension. Uh, good luck with seeing Sky, because there are at least two other guys at the school that look exactly like him. Well, you have to find the one with the right hair color. The others are just palette swaps. <laughs> uh, Musa gets real cynical and asks Stella if she likes Sky or his money more. And Stella says that beauty is wasted if not surrounded by beautiful things. The four kids dub <laughs> lessens the implication that somehow an honest-to-God princess is a gold digger by pointing out that if Sky and Stella were to marry, that would be an incredibly powerful political alliance. Um, I make a note here that Stella is already planning on sieging when she marries Skye. Well, she says, yeah, yeah, Arachleon and Solaria, an empire that would stretch coast to coast. Uh-huh, whatever. Let's go find my boyfriend. <laughs> oh! Um, in Four Kids, they also switched some another thing around. Because I actually make a note of this later. After they are talking about Sky, um... Now is when Bloom runs into the king and queen of Arachleon. Weird. 
He's a graduate of Red Fountain and an award-winning author. She's a former model and a philanthropist dedicated to educational charities. Please rise for the king and queen of Arachleon! And then they start playing the Arachleon planetary anthem. Toxic. By Britney Spears. I don't think that song was out at this point. It's a kiss from a rose by uh, by Seal. <laughs> so we're now we're up in the stands where the king and queen of Arachlean are not in like a central box. It looks like they're just in the stands, and like there's one guard to the side of the queen. Then it's the king. Then Diaspro. Then another guard. Uh, Bloom manages to walk right up next to this royal guard without him reacting, which is shocking. And passes- She should have had her head cut off at this point. She should have at least been told to, like, stand down and announce yourself. Ma'am, who the fuck are you? Uh, instead, Bloom says she has a message for the princess and passes Diaspro a note. <laughs> now this note says two different things. In the Cinelume dub, it is that Sky is requesting her presence. In four kids, the press wants to see you. So either way, Diaspora does the proper royal thing and uh, excuses herself from the king's presence before following Bloom away, and the guard that was sitting next to her follows, leaving the king's side completely unguarded. He can probably take care of himself, but it seems like there should really be more guards here. I, uh, make a note that the king missed leg day. He is very rotund. And his legs are very skinny. Well, you know, once you stop doing the actual adventuring and you just start writing books about adventuring, things start to, like, things start to fall out of place. Also, straight men are allergic to leg day. Yeah. My favorite thing about this next part is it looks like they are literally just to the right of the stands. They're in the they're in the hallway leading out. Like I've been to maybe only two or three baseball games in my life, but I know exactly they're in the corner of the hallway directly before it opens up into the stands. I have a feeling that if somebody who is sitting on, like, the edge of the stands turned, they could probably see this all happen. Because Bloom snaps her fingers and puts the guard to sleep and demands to know if Diaspora is Icy Darcy or Stormy. And in Four Kids, she is just, yes, you are Icy. I think she seized on Icy because Diaspora said that girl is a total loser over the phone to Brandon after walking away. And I guess Icy has said that enough in Bloom's presence that something about it, you know, flipped a switch. But it's also a super common saying. And Diaspora rightly has no clue what Bloom is talking about. And she really does not appreciate Bloom's tone. Because as a princess, she is, you know, superior to Bloom in a social sense. Which is, you know, accurate. Hi, you're lesser. Uh, and Bloom says that if Diaspora does not confess, she is going to beat a confession out of her and transform. And Diaspora responds by calling Bloom a little country beggar, and I super misheard that. Oh, yep! Maybe I've just been watching too much Drag Race that I super thought that was going to stop earlier than it did. Is this a sugar daddy conversation from season three? Basically. Uh, Bloom commits magical assault and blows Diaspora through a wall. Oh, yeah. How did no one hear this? Because, like, there's a wood splintering sound. So Diaspora got, like, straight up thrown through a closed wooden door. Probably solid wood. Ouchies. I think magical beings can take a little bit more punishment than regular people. Uh, but we cut away from this to focus on the boys. 
because they're doing some more sick bike stunts. <laughs> I saw a little kid do a wheelie on a bike today. That was rad. Uh, this confused me because in the ceiling dub, the way it's framed makes it look like it is just part of the routine that goes a little sideways. So we see two bikes speeding along. And then Riven is driving in the opposite direction, and it looks like one of those just, like, bike stunts where one rider drives between two parallel riders. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like a dexterity, like a show of vehicular dexterity or whatever. Yeah, stunt show. And Brandon loses control and wipes out. And Sky, Sky like, instantly finds a place to park because that's his bro. Yeah. Brandon's a little banged up. And Sky declares vengeance on Riven for probably not doing anything on purpose this time. <laughs> and then Sky and Brandon start He-Man power walking over to beat him up. <laughs> they do! Because ah! Riven stops his bike too because... For a second, you think Riven might have a shred of decency and is actually trying to make sure, oh crap, did did I hurt him? Because this is not part of the show. Uh, Timmy pulls up before Riven can get double teamed and points out that the reptilian portion of the day's entertainment is about to begin as the dragons take the field. Remember, they're in front of a crowd. So there was about to be an all-out fight between Brandon or Sky and Riven. Or both Brandon and Sky fighting Riven at the same time. Also, these dragons are color-coded to the boys. They are all, like, the same uh. cream color, but their wings are... Like, one's blue, one's green, one's yellow, and one is pink. Oh, and their head frills. Uh. Don't forget the head frills! I don't actually mind these dragon designs. They're kind of noodly. <laughs> Before we started recording, you described the pink dragon's wings as looking like meat. They look like slices of salami. They kind of do, honestly. <laughs> so before we can begin the dragon show, we go to Stella and the rest of the wings. And Stella has found a cracked door. That is apparently, like, one of the big sets of double doors that goes directly onto the stadium floor. <laughs> Why is this not closed? And uh, so she starts watching through this door crack, and then all of the girls start shoving her out of the way so they can get their own turns to watch the show. Where they should just do a Scooby-Doo thing where they're all just on top of each other. Also... Did Techno look a little thirsty to you, or was that just me? Because, now this is just in the four kids dub, and it, it it's just the way that the expression on her face works. But whoever's looking through before her goes, oh, look, there's Timmy. And the Techno goes, oh, my turn. <gasps> Where? <laughs> and just the expression on her face. Techno's really thirsty. She's never had a boy interested in her before. She's very excited. And we cut away from this back to, you know, the main event of this whole thing where Diaspro uh, and Bloom are in a nebulously defined catacomb. It looks like they're in, like, a weapons silo. Kind of, yeah. And Diaspro says that if Bloom wants a fight, she's gonna get a fight. She throws her cape off and transforms. Um, in, um, in Cinelum, she shouts Diaspro Prince, missing the S part of that, but okay. And in Four Kids, she yells Quartz Power. Uh, this is actually a pretty notable occasion. Because as of season eight of Wings Club, there are only three characters, uh, including Diaspro, that aren't members of the Wings Club who get their own transformation sequences. And hers is kind of simple, but it's definitely a transformation. Uh, her wings look very uh, leafy. 
I also really like her fairy design. Her colors are like cream and burgundy. So uh, you mentioning quartz power. Now's a good time to get this out of the way because it was like the next paragraph in my notes. So Diaspro <laughs> is the fairy of gemstones. Sometimes fairy of gem light, depending on the book that gets translated. But the reason she shouts quartz power and that she keeps summoning red crystals during this fight scene and has them on her outfit is because diaspro is the Italian word for the gemstone jasper, which is a type of quartz, as any Steven Universe fan will tell you. For a hot second, the uh, gems that diaspro has look kind of like blood cells. A little bit, because they're rounded <laughs> orange. With red shinies. Uh, Bloom lobs a fireball at Diaspro, and who like dodges out of the way. And then when Bloom tries to fly up, Diaspro grabs her by the ankle and demands to know what she wants. This is a very anime fight, and I am here for it. Yeah, this this whole fight sequence is amazing choreography. Uh, Bloom claims that Diaspro is one of the tricks, and that and in the four kids dub, she says that's a pretty good imitation of a fairy. I see. I I feel it's pretty obvious at this point that Bloom has made a terrible mistake. But she doesn't want to admit to it. She just doesn't want to admit to herself. She's decided to commit to this bit completely. <laughs> I'm the main character. I can't be wrong. Jasper yanks Bloom right to the ground and asks what the absolute hell she's talking about, and Bloom kicks her in the gut. Uh, also, okay, can I say this without being totally creepy? Probably not, but go ahead. I am incredibly grateful there was not a panty shot of Bloom. Because in the like the position she landed, they could have. But instead, it's just like, it's like the doll thing where her skirt is one hunk of plastic and her legs are two hunks of plastic sticking out of it. Uh, it looks like she's wearing some kind of biker shorts. Oh, that makes like, sense. Like, that are the same color as her skirt. You understand why I'm grateful that there was no panty shot, because that happens a lot in Magical Girl stuff. <sighs> yeah. In Four Kids, Diaspro thinks that Bloom is a crazed fan, because apparently Diaspro is a celebrity in Four Kids. Yeah, um, apparently being a royal in the Magic Dimension is, in the Four Kids dub, is the equivalent of being a minor celebrity. So, uh, Diaspora thinks Bloom is, like, a stalker. Yeah. D <laughs> She's like, do you want an autographed wing or a picture with me? What the hell do you want? And Bloom's just like, I want revenge! <laughs> I must have blood! Uh, Diaspora announces that she is, like, she's not a witch. She is... Diaspro, betrothed of Prince Sky of Arachleon, and throws a moon tiara magic crystal discus. Bloom is now fully convinced Diaspro is a threat, so uh, she starts pelting her with fireballs, and Diaspro summons a bunch of like little Jasper support units <laughs> that start firing crystal bolts. And then we go back above ground, and the boys are doing the dragon show. <laughs> All right, boys, do the YMCA! Yeah, apparently the dragons are basically Pokemon and obey mental commands. There's, like, a thing here where Ribbon taunts Brandon about their fight earlier. So Brandon throws a lightsaber boomerang that looks like it's part of the show, but is also designed to, like, knock Riven over, like, by, like, make Riven dodge so he doesn't get hit. But unfortunately, that means he's, like, ass in the dirt, and embarrassed. And so, as revenge, he sicks his purple dragon on Brandon's blue dragon, and the crowd freaks out because there are two apex predators that can fly and breathe fire starting to fight in an uncontrolled <laughs> environment. This is like some Jurassic Park <laughs> on another level. <laughs> in Four Kids, Riven is just like, I'm gonna get you, like, being all like an asshole. Yeah. Like, just straight up antagonizing, not like, hope you don't mind that I, d hope, you d hope you're not too 
worked up about that, whatever. He's like, no, I'm going to kick your ass and then I'll kick your ass until I'm just kicking individual particles of you. Like, So while the, the dragons fight, Kota Torta sees that everything started to go sideways. So he runs onto the field and jumps onto the yellow dragon's neck and he pulls out a laser whip. And, like, cracks it a few times to make... Back! Back, Simba. Back, I say! Back, I say! Yeah, he lion-tamed the dragons into uh, submission. Unfortunately, the second the dragons calm down, a fissure opens in the earth, and Bloom and Diaspora fly out, still fighting. So were they underground? Was this an underground silo? Apparently, like, to me, the implication is that the area they were fighting in is, like, directly beneath the arena. But that arena looked like it was on pretty solid ground to me. I don't know. They're causing a lot of damage. Uh, Bloom destroys Diaspora's support units and knocks her out of the sky. And the second she does... Brandon runs right over yelling Diaspora's name, which is, I believe, the first point it's revealed in the Cinelume dub. Uh, in Four Kids, uh, he does refer to Diaspora in the beginning. But I don't know if, like, when she appears, she's ever referred to by name until this point. Right. It's time for a Diaspora info dump! So as Bloom looks on, like, pretty gobsmacked, Diaspora, like, latches herself onto Brandon and calls him Sky. Bloom asks what Brandon is doing, and Diaspora says that she is an idiot peasant and is speaking to Crown Prince Sky of Arachleon, heir to the throne and her future husband. Oh, Sorry. That's right, folks. Looks uh, like we have a classic bodyguard sitch. Um, and then, um, uh, the king of Arachleon calls for Squire, and then the person formerly known as Sky runs over and bows before him. Also worth noting that while this is all going on, the rest of the winks are like arguing about who gets to watch the show. And Stella is the one who puts her foot down, says it's her turn, and gets to watch her boyfriend be unmasked as a squire, not a prince at all. Uh, up in the stands, Saladin, Farragonda, and Griffin are watching the whole thing. Griffin with utter glee. See, it's interesting because it's utter glee in Four Kids, but it's a little bit more veiled in in Sinaloon. Because Saladin asks Farragonda if Bloom is one of her students, and Farragonda gives the most disappointed yes. Unfortunately, yes. Uh, Saladin bangs his wizard staff on the ground, says that Bloom's ruined the whole day, and Griffin gets in a comment that is maybe a little snide, but incredibly appropriate that it seems like it's not only her students who use excessive force. My rebuttal to this, of course, is that Bloom did not conjure a demon or attempt actual homicide multiple times, so I think Farragonda still has the moral high ground. In Four Kids, there was a looming thing a little earlier from for the um, number one like a survey for the number one magic school in the realm. And right now... Griffin's just like, I'm so glad this happened before the results were published. Now, the 4Kids dub adds in an unnecessary scene here using recycled animation from, I do believe, the... I thought so! This is a recycled scene from after the girls snuck into Cloud Tower. Uh... Nothing really happens here except they say that uh, as punishment for being like trespassing at Red Fountain, they're going to have their powers reduced by 50% so they can still study because it's late in the semester. But really, this does nothing, so we're going to just kind of ignore it. 
also we get a, a scene where Tecna spells out that Sky and Brandon switched places. But the reason that they switched places is given as Sky wanting to experience life as a normal person and not have the uh, trappings of royalty confining him while he was at school. Instead of the fact that he's a prince from a planet that, we don't know this at this point, but apparently has like some really, really messy politics and he is the only heir to the throne. So he would need to have like a shadow double, a kagemusha, if you will. Uh, if you're a weeaboo and know what that term means. Uh, to pretend to be him in case anybody wants to target him so Brandon would be the one to take a proverbial or literal bullet for him. In Four Kids, real quick, um, Faragonda mentions that they can finish the semester, they may not be allowed back next year, that is for the council to decide. I, I guess Lucius Malfoy is on the board of directors. <laughs> And in Cinelume, the episode ends where Bloom is, like, petting Kiko on her balcony at Althea. And she says that there is no other way. Her mind is made up. And then the episode ends before we find out what her plan is. In Four Kids, she says, I'm done with boys. I'm sticking with bunnies. All right. So that means that it is time Please tell me you've, you're prepared for the best moment, worst moment, and MVP of the episode. I can be. What is your best moment of the episode? My best moment of the episode is that we can finally call Sky Sky and Brandon Brandon. Yeah, we've done a very good job in my opinion keeping our uh keeping our <laughs> lids shut on that i think we actually only god ever it's had, been hard i think we only ever had like one slip up that was edited out my i hate having to call people wrong names uh my best for this episode is actually the bloom and diaspora fight because of how freaking anime it all is Twas very good very good indeed What's your worst moment of the episode? Can it be Bloom? Bloom and her uh, horrible judgment? Uh, her very bad call. I mean, I know Diaspora is no saint, but... We'll be revisiting Diaspora in the future, and I just have one thing to say, and that is hashtag justice for Diaspora, but we'll get to it. She has her reasons for being a bus. My phone just beeped. Honestly, at this point, she's just, like, mildly unpleasant. But I would be pretty mildly unpleasant, too, if somebody knocked me to the ground and then accused me of being a witch in disguise. <laughs> My worst moment of the episode is Riven basically calling Bloom a slut. Like, Jiminy Christmas, my dude. Who's your MVP for the episode? Um... My MVP is actually going to be Kodatora for realizing that something is going wrong and is like, I need to stop this now. My MVP for this episode is actually Diaspro. I know. She's one of your favorites. I really, really like Diaspro, and I can't wait to yell about how she gets shafted by the narrative. I mean, a lot of things get shafted by the narrative. The character assassination of Princess Diaspora is pretty high up on the list. You're also way more knowledgeable of the series than I am. I'm along for the ride. Alright, Club Kids, thanks for joining us today to unmask a cheater. If you'd like to follow me, Brendan, on Twitter, you can find me at Sonata Waves, S O N. A-P-A-W-A-V-E-S. You can find me, Tess, on Twitter, at Pocky Slice. That is Pocky, like the delicious Japanese snack, slice as in a slice of pie. 
If you'd like to follow the show on Twitter, you can find us at MagicWinksPod. If you want to email us, you can email us at MagicWinksClubhouse at gmail.com. That is the name of this podcast at gmail.com. All right. If you uh, were available on iTunes, Google Podcasts, and Podbean, if you listen on a platform that allows you to leave a rating and review, we would very much appreciate it if you do so. If you cannot leave a rating or review for whatever reason, a positive comment on the Twitter feed or a recommendation to a friend helps just as much. And so that closes us out for today. We will be back in a little under two weeks with episode 18, The Font of Dragonfire, or the four kids title, Senior Witches Go to Earth. Oh, nay. Until next time, <laughs> Club Kids. Meeting adjourned. Just shut up, Riven! Open your eyes, open your mind. We are the Winks. Winks, if your hand is holding mine, we can fly through space and time. And together we'll be served by winners. Winks, we're just like a pen and tap. You light up our world. We'll fly the moonlit sky together. I'm sorry, a photo just came up on my feed of some county employees T-posing over Chromebooks. Wonderful. Please send that to me. (laughs) Like, I know they're doing it because, like, six feet apart or whatever, but I'm like, it just looks like they're (laughs) T-posing.